Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Good morning. Welcome to Medicine on Call. Today I'd like to to readdress and, and talk once again about the supposed doctor shortage. But that's been something that's been used as a, a way to change the dynamics of our healthcare delivery system, who's on the front line, and the, the, the actual healthcare workforce. We've seen a literally a changing of the guard over the past 10 years or so where doctors used to be the face of medicine, taking care of patients from rural areas throughout the country and cities everywhere. We've seen a change from that to nurse practitioners and physician assistants. And throughout the country, there's been uh, a legislative movement to increase the scope of practice as well as increase the power that um, the allied healthcare professionals have in taking care of patients. Several weeks ago, I had on a doctor who was previously a nurse who discussed the difference between the training between a doctor and a nurse, and I want to revisit that because that's really enlightening. We're not all the same, and everybody has a role to play in the healthcare system, but when you really come down to it, this, the the breadth of practice, the depth of knowledge that's associated with being trained as a physician is very unique. And no matter how much they try to add in artificial intelligence and all of these uh, automated aspects of our healthcare system, evidence-based medicine, et cetera, it really does not equal somebody's... Uh, depth of training that allows them to think outside the box, to critically think, to to be innovative um, in the care giving of a patient. Just because somebody presents the diagnosis doesn't mean that, or I should say with a symptom, doesn't mean the diagnosis is cut and dry all the time. I mean, I've seen patients that come to my office, and I've seen patients in the emergency room over the course of my practice where it seemed like it was a straightforward ENT problem, a sore throat, ear pain, dizziness, and it turned out to be something completely different or something much more serious that was was really not treated with the standard antibiotic or decongestant. And that's the, that's the direction that we're moving in. Um, the, the stories that are coming out on the Internet now about people being treated and streeted but literally coming back or bouncing back or unfortunately passing away because they missed a diagnosis are growing. And it's not really talked about a lot. It's not getting a lot of air coverage. Uh, you know, that's a problem. You know, and once you've changed the dynamics, once you stop training specialists, um, physicians who will take care of people in rural areas, those patients actually are done a disservice because once that knowledge base is gone, it's not coming back. You know, this is not something that you can just spend six or seven hours on a weekend course to expand your your uh, your, your scope of practice and just apply it. There's consequences. And it's talking about patients and human lives here. 
not talking about money making. I think, honestly, that's the baseline. It's about being able to control the pocketbook, the, the healthcare dollar, and how many pieces of that pie can you actually take and, you know, how can you game the system? Doctors are the face of it. We've been demonized. We've been used as the means to literally add in all these other these other uh, pieces based on what the perception of what doctors or lack of thereof of doctors are able to contribute. And so everybody's equal. It's all a team base. We're interchangeable parts. And ultimately, who wins? Hospitals win. Insurance companies win. Um, but I think ultimately the patients lose, even though it's being kind of a, a trendy thing to <clears throat> to go to use telemedicine, use your app to get a diagnosis, um, you know, get something called in at a minute clinic. <clears throat> Excuse me. These are all easy things, and it makes it seem as if it's just all about convenience, but you get what you pay for. I think we've said it multiple times on the show. It's not that simple, and people really do need to start thinking about, do you want something that's easy, or do you want it to be right? You know, I don't know about you, Dave, but if you've gone to a minute clinic, to me that's the probably the most conflict of interest I've ever seen, where the the uh, pharmacy has a clinic within the pharmacy, has a nurse staffing it. Basically, every answer is going to be writing you a prescription, and they get to make money on you. Or let's say you don't buy a prescription, but you're in there buying other things. So it's a, it's a money-making venture. Where's the conflict of interest or Stark Law when it comes to self-assault? That's not being said at all. But again, I think you have to follow the money. Who's, talk, who's got the ear of Congress? It's not the independent doctor. It's the, the corporate entities. It's the money makers who are up there throwing their influence around. Have you ever actually been to a mini clinic? Dave? Yeah, I have. Yes. Have, have you been to a minute clinic? Uh, no, you mean like in a grocery store? No. Oh, but, but I uh, can't urgent, hear you. An urgent care, yes, I've been to, but not a not a minute. You mean like in a grocery store thing or whatever? Yeah, like a no, in, no, no, in no. CVS or no. I don't know if Walgreens or those have it. No. Nope. Uh, but they popped up all over the place. And actually, the urgent cares are, it's kind of a two-pronged system. The, the target, or I should say, the CBS Minute Clinics are one avenue. But then you have the urgent cares, which are extensions a lot of the time now of the hospitals because they've managed to buy out independent urgent care. So they may be an extension of the hospital, or they may just be an, an independent corporate driven entity, where again, it's about convenience, maybe, but it's also about making money, and they're not necessarily attached to a hospital sometimes, if it's not, uh, not owned by the hospital, but they don't really have access to specialists or people that they can actually bounce things off of, and so you end up maybe treating patients, and I've seen it yesterday, where the patient had an infection, of course no culture was done. The antibiotic didn't work. And now they're sitting in my office, they're not better, but I can't culture them and figure out 
what the problem is because it was put on an antibiotic. It's like one size fits all. All answers are the same. And is that really serving the patient? Maybe you spent 30 bucks or whatever in it, but it's not the same. It's now time for patients to really become consumers where you, it's not just walk in, but it's really got to be thoughtful. Are there physicians in the urgent care? Uh, is it run, is it owned, is it physician owned? Is it private owned, privately owned, sorry. These are things that people have to start asking themselves. Is, are there, is there price transparency where you know what the cost of something is before you walk in the door? What's their relationship with, with uh, specialty care? If you come in with chest pain, are they gonna just put you on, on Nexium or an antacid or are they gonna know that it's actually a heart attack and have facilities to be able to first stabilize you perhaps and then get you to an ER or set up a, a, cardio, a cardiologist appointment after the fact. I'm not sure any of this stuff goes on. The people who I've seen in urgent care are just told, oh, you need to see an ENT. They don't call my office. There's no continuity of care where they're literally, I'm speaking to somebody who saw the patient who's now handing the patient over to me. That's not going down. It's the patient, you know, pump, you know, poning up their money and then they're on their own after. And what if what happens when it doesn't work? I mean, these are the things that you need to start asking about because your money is important and because your health is important. Now you have to be thoughtful about it because it's become a wild west in a lot of ways. Now you can imagine these uh, uh, AI clinics that are that are popping up. I think there are kiosks now that you can walk into. You they take your blood pressure. They they um, you but you put your finger in or your hand, your arm in a cuff, it's all automated, and they pop out a prescription at the end. I mean, I think that's, you know, from a sci-fi standpoint, it's actually kind of funny, but from a reality standpoint, I'm not interested in that as a patient, personally. I want somebody who's actually going to talk to me, who's actually going to know my history, who's actually going to work with me to make an assessment. This is very one-sided, and it's very, uh, I wouldn't say authoritarian necessarily, but in the sense that you basically just do what you're told. Somebody's telling you, there's no questions asked. And the, there's no questions asked because the knowledge base isn't there. So how do you actually have a detailed conversation about differential? What could this be? If the person or the thing te- uh, treating you doesn't know themselves, I mean, this is where the dumbing down of, of healthcare is potentially a major problem. And when there's no answer, then what do they do? They just ship you off, oh, God forbid, to a hospice because it's too expensive. They don't know what the answer is necessarily. But whatever the answer is, your quality of life, you know, you should just be happy with what you have, and, and there you go. Uh, I mean, it's kind of frightening in a sense because it really takes the patient out of the loop. You just become a money delivery system to them. It's not about you getting better. It's about how can we manage it? How can we put you on this medication next so that we can get you out of our office? That's what it's come to. I, if I were a patient in this system, I would be really feeling some kind of way about this. I mean, when... I know that we're taking we're up against the break day, but I'm just curious to know 
your experience when you were in a hospital setting, did you actually feel like they knew what was going on or you really had to be very aggressive about asking questions, about getting them to explain things to you? Oh, I, I think uh, in, in both cases, uh, when my wife was in the hospital and when I was in the hospital, uh, um, some of the some of the people they have coming in checking on you, you wonder how they found the place to work. Um, I'm sorry, but uh, you know they they're not hiring the brightest bulb in the box. And, I, and as far as the nurses go, I must say they were in generally speaking very good but some of the nurses assistants or whatever they call them techs or I mm -hmm. don't know what they call them but um, you know I, I'd mentioned to you once before that one of them uh, that came in she just was dirty looking and uh, you know you, you question what she really knew and uh, and Oh, the other thing is that everything is dependent on and relying on technology. And I don't think there's a mm -hmm. person listening that doesn't realize garbage in, garbage out. And all it takes is, I, I would assume, the slip of a of a type, a typo, and you could be had. You know, but everything is based on technology. Uh, let me see your hand. So they swipe your your wristband, and then they check the monitor to see if you pop up and uh, you know so and we all know technology can mess up every now and then a lot it's based on humans so if you have human error there you go and I know we have, let's take a break and, and return to that that point because I think it's very important that people not get sucked into if it's a computer it must be right mentality um, you're listening to medicine on call Welcome back to Medicine on Call. You know, with, before the break, we were talking about information technology. And information technology is very much so user-dependent. What you put into that system is literally what everybody is thinking. You know, garbage in, garbage out was really a shorthand. And it's not like the error rate in hospitals have gone down. There's still errors that are made. People, I can tell you, when someone's medical records are entered in a computer somewhere, if it's not sent to my office, I still don't have access to their medical records. So this is not a, a, a system that everybody should just be saying is the end-all, be-all, because it's not. I have people who, our medical record system in our office populates whatever medication the patient has been right, um, prescribed, because um, it's linked to pharmacies. But I've had patients say, I've never been on that medication, I don't know where that came from. So, I mean, this is the system that we're living in, and this mentality that if it's in the computer, it must be right, has a lot of downfall to it, a lot of dangers associated with it. And, again, imagine how this gets pushed into the real world. If anything that a doctor writes, any prescription, is not sacrosanct, it's not hidden anywhere, it goes into a database. And that database, especially if you take or use the Affordable Care Act, Medicaid, Medicare, those, that medical information literally is able to be accessed by the government, you know, by 
every alphabet agency out there. Remember when Affordable Care Act was passed, in order to confirm and to um, make sure that they had accurate information on you financially so that if you were getting a, any kind of subsidy, they could prove that you were supposed to have it. That means that the IRS could access it. It meant that the FBI could access it because it's fraud, financial fraud, to say that you're making X and you're getting a subsidy when you're really making Y. So all of these things have really been hooked in to a central database that government can sift through. Forget about hacking. That's a whole other ballgame. But imagine if you're going for a government job. Not only are they looking at your Facebook posts and your Twitter rants or whatever you're doing, they're also looking at your health information. Health information technology has a, has a double meaning to it. Yes, health information that can be accessed and in some cases, I'm convinced, used against you. So if you've been diagnosed, again, I use this, this example, you know, you're, you smoke, you're trying to stop smoking, your doctor prescribes you an antidepressant, which is a, a little bit of an off-label use, but never, nevertheless, it's a use to help you stop smoking. Only thing that pops up in the database is the antidepressant. Not the reason why, just the medication. So now you have medication that's tied to you for really the normal prescribed reason, which would be depression. How does that follow you people? I mean, are you now painted as potential mental health care risk if you try to get a government job and you're in the database because you happen to have a legal handgun? What happens to it? Do they come and seize it? Remember, at the, I guess a couple years ago, the government tried to tie Medicare benefits, Social Security benefits, to people who have guns and also get their Social Security benefits wired into their account. Those people were felt to be mentally challenged, so they came and seized their guns. Meanwhile, it's a government program. They, they encourage you to wire the money into your account. It doesn't mean you have dementia, but that's how it was used. So you really have to think about, forget the convenience aspect of things. You have to start asking yourself, what if? What if, right? What What's the worst thing that could happen? That's how we think as physicians. I need to do a differential because I need to know the worst thing this could possibly be so that I can find it, diagnose it, and fix it. That's how our mind thinks. It's not, oh, let's just give the patient an uh, antidepressant because they're feeling a little out of sorts today, uh, you know, or they're a little anxious. Instead of sending them to a, site, a therapist, let's just give them an, an anti-anxiety medication. Or they can't sleep. Instead of finding out why they're not sleeping, let's just give them a, a sleep medication. That's not what doctors do. But when you start talking about the allied healthcare professionals, people who don't know differential, who can't think about these, the subtle things that could cause the problem, they're writing those prescriptions. More people get opioids from nurse practitioners and from physicians that the, the volume of the prescription writing is different because that's their frame of reference. It's also more costly because more tests are ordered because you don't have a frame of reference. Someone comes up with a sore throat and it's a peritonsal abscess, you don't need a CT for that. That goes on all the time. So in the hospital setting, for example, instead of calling in the ENT, or better yet, instead of using the emergency medicine physician who 
technically trained to drain peritonsillar abscesses, at least back in the old day, I don't know now, to do tracheostomies emergently, to do cracking someone's chest and stabilizing them, they're ordering CTs because you have physician assistants, you have family practice doctors, you have a lot of things going on to save money. I want to go to an ER where there's an emergency medicine trained physician treating me, not someone moonlighting from family practice, not a physician assistant. I don't think there are nurse practitioners. I can't say. I'm, it's been a while since I've taken call in an ER. But I don't know if there's nurse practitioners part of the ER staff. I'm not sure. But the bottom line is I want the specialist, the professional, who knows everything that could possibly happen and take precautions appropriately or treat me appropriately, not just throw it up on a wall and see if it sticks by ordering tests that don't need to be ordered, right, or having to call a consult because, I mean, maybe sometimes you're doing it because they're too busy. That's not appropriate either. But because they don't, they don't know technically how to do something that really is an emergency procedure you should know. Those are the things that end up costing the healthcare system more money. It makes it less, less efficient. It causes delays in diagnosis, and this is what they want to double down on. This is what they're doubling down on with AI. You don't have someone who has a frame of reference. You have people depending on an artificial intelligence database to treat you. Nobody's the same. You can walk in, put up 10 people with the same diagnosis or same symptom, and they'll have a different diagnosis, but do you know that? That's the problem with AI aside from your information being up for grabs, your private health information being sold for prescription, you know, the, the pharmacies, to marketing. You ever wonder why if you're on Facebook or, some, or you're on your Internet and you see a medication commercial pop up for a medication you happen to be taking or for a condition that you have, that did not just happen by accident. This is... Data is the big money maker, and I think ages ago, I think Twyla said this, Dr. Um, Twyla Brace, that the most powerful weapon or the most powerful piece of information out there now yeah, is so health information because it doesn't change, because it follows you everywhere, because that's the way to identify you. You might not have the same job. You might not have the same um, apartment or location, but you do have the same health data. Um, I'm sorry, Dave, we need to take a break. Sure, we can take a break. Uh, we got a couple of minutes, actually, before we have to. But Oh, okay. Um, so let's continue that thought. Stream of consciousness here. Do you really want that degree of privacy being out there for other people to buy and sell, interpret, um, basically, know more about one more one more thing that lets them know more about you than you do or your family does. These are things that people need to start asking questions about. Is it appropriate? What happens if your information gets leaked? What do you do about it? There really isn't a lot. You know, HIPAA doesn't count when it's been hacked. I don't think of. I can't remember anybody suing a hospital or an insurance company when their information has been hacked, you know, their private health information, their social security numbers, um, all these things have been hacked. We've seen multiple stories about this, but I haven't seen anybody actually sue the vendor, the hospital, or anybody 
who's associated with it. It makes you wonder if they're if they have immunity from this stuff, and if that's the case, then there's no way I'd want my information in their database because my it's like having your hands tied behind your back. And on that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out of pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. You know, how does the doctor fit into this system? This system actually got up, became, or went online because of the argument, and we've been seeing this forever now, that there's a doctor shortage, that there's not enough doctors out there, and we have to actually expand the role of allied healthcare professionals because of that. But when you really examine why there's a doctor shortage, you realize that maybe this is not, you know, by accident. Back in 1992, um, the, the Congress limited the number of residency spots that medical students could access after graduating. Now, the way that our, the medical system is set up, and I think we've discussed it, but I just want to go over it in case people don't remember, is that when you get to med- admitted to medical school, it's a four-year program, four-year of school, After you finish your fourth year, you have to actually match, which means you have to be chosen and you have to choose and it has to literally lock, sync up. You have to have the, if your number one choice is a particular hospital, they have to match you as their number one choice as well. If you're their second choice, you don't get a spot. So it's called matching. And in order to practice medicine, you have to do one year of a residency somewhere in the country. So you can be the top of your class in medical school. You're all MDs when we graduate, so you are a doctor. But you cannot be licensed to practice unless you do one year of residency. So imagine what this means. You have musical chairs, basically, now, created by the government that they're not physicians. They have no idea what goes on. They just arbitrarily decided to cut this, save money, because the government does help pay for training of physicians by paying for the hospitals. So if they cut the number of seats, the number of residencies available, hospitals are going to cut their training program because they're not going to foot the bill. They want the government to help them. So now we have a game of musical chairs. You've graduated, and if you don't match, 
you're just out of luck. You just spent $100,000 or more paying for medical school, passing all your boards, doing everything you're supposed to, but because maybe you didn't, you know, maybe you don't have good interpersonal skills, so your interview didn't go well, or, you know, for whatever reason, it could be many reasons, some personal, some professional, that you don't get a match. What do you do? You can't practice. You can't work in a, in a hospital. You can't open your own practice. You've just spent and been on the hook for thousands of dollars, and you've got nowhere to go. So I've, we've, we've talked about physicians working as baristas. We've talked about physicians not, well, not doing health care. And the, the common denominator seems to be that these are the doctors who would be happy to work in areas that are underrepresented, rural areas, inner cities, Indian reservations, all sorts of places that really do need physicians. And you have doctors are not available who are willing, able, you know, ready, willing, and able to take in or take up these spots. But instead of that, they want to do telemedicine because it's cheaper. Imagine paying a doctor a salary versus setting up a computer in a, in a remote area where you could just have somebody call in or, and speak, speak with the patient. You can speak with dozens of patients a day, and you're, paying, you're getting paid by the hour you know, or the patient that's seen, and it's a fraction of what it would be. Plus, you don't have a brick and mortar where you have to pay for lights and electricity. You don't have to buy supplies. All of these things are calculated into the cost effectiveness of our healthcare system. And if you know that the hospitals are the most powerful entity within the healthcare system, they're driving the train. They've purchased physician practices all over the country. They've centralized the delivery. They've increased the cost of healthcare by arbitrary things like um, facility fees, they're making out like bandits. And they're double-dipping because they keep crying poor to the government. They don't have enough money. But they literally get paid to see people who don't have insurance and who are indigent. They get money from the government specifically to do that. Then they end up gouging people who can't afford. Tell me how this works. Every hospital in this country that's gotten to be a system got there because of the largesse of the government, because they knew how to game the system, play the game. We're sitting here in Georgia with hospitals who used to be dozens. There's now about four different hospital systems getting larger as we speak. But the healthcare delivery isn't better. People who Blue Cross in, in, in Georgia can't even go to one of the hospital systems because they're still negotiating on the money. So where did those people go if they had a doctor who wasn't part of the system? They're out in the cold. This is all about money. It's not about healthcare. And what they've managed to do is to put the cheapest, the most, for them, cost-effective product out there. You want physician assistants. You want nurse practitioners. You want a, you know, telemedicine. You want remote care as much as you can possibly get it. You may have a few doctors overseeing it, you know, but that's not taking care of the patient. And anybody who's gone to a doctor in a, in a hospital-based practice I think we've probably figured this out by now. You may not get the same doctor. You probably get a PA. You, I don't even know if you see the doctor on your first visit unless you really request it. But it's like a surround robin. You're spending as, you know, the time 
that you send your doctor is now down to an average of seven minutes because they're all about making it work, you know, getting the most out of the, of the, the workforce as they can and making the most money, keeping the pie, you know, in the administrative side. There should not be 16 administrators to one physician as a ratio in a hospital. They don't deliver patient care. They cost a lot of money. And what, what you know, how is that showing up in terms of the healthcare delivery? You're getting less of it because you have somebody who's sitting on top of everybody telling you what you can't do, what you can't do, or, or order, or worse yet, order, and some of these hospitals have gotten in trouble for it, order X number of tests because this is what we need to keep the bottom line. And hospitals have been fined for doing that, you know, ordering a number of cardiac workups or CT scans that are not medically necessary. It's, it's, it's what they can get away with. We have, ultimately, we have the power as physicians. We can withdraw our consent, not be members of those hospitals, not be, not sell our practice to these, these type of facilities or, or at all. Patients have the, the choice to actually see an independent doctor, direct primary care doctor where the price is listed, and you can ask what the cost of something is up front before you have the service. And there's no facility fee tacked on, and there's no hidden charges. I mean, if you want to have sticker shock, have at it. But anybody who's actually a thinking patient, who is, uh, really wants to be a partner in their care, these are the last places you should end up in because it's going to cost you, sometimes with your own health, but definitely your pocketbook. So knowing that the system has been created, rigged, if you want to put it that way, to not only demonize doctors, remove them from the front line of decision-making, make them accountable, not to the patient, but to their, their uh, people who, they, who write their checks. The fiduciary responsibility, when you are employee, is not to the patient. You can't make deals for the patient. You can't barter. You can't have a sliding scale. You're, you don't even know, I would say, what the cost is most of the time. Once you sold your practice, the charge master is out of your hands. You just write, you just circle what the procedure was or the office visit level is, and it's gone. You don't even know. So when patients come back and they're really pissed, and it's, you know, I'm sure it happens all over the country, just beware. It's not the doctor who's charging you that, and they honestly don't even know what the charge is once they become employees. And as with anything, if you're not you know, responsible for the bottom line of something, at some point you, you really lose touch with attention to detail. If your office hours are 9 to 5 and you're not making payroll and you're not, you know, troubleshooting your computers, you're not on the front line of your office as well as your patients, at some point you disengage. Patients are just a number. You really do want to get in and out. You don't take the extra time to listen. All these things that are going on in the healthcare system are not by accident. The only way to pull it back is to find the doctors who don't do that, to spend your healthcare dollar with those doctors, because this system is based on a money-driven system. If you withdraw your funds, then they start to come around and actually make changes. As long as you do the same thing, expect a different result, they're gonna do the same thing. And it's only gonna get worse. We're seeing this, and we're living this on as a patient and as the 
the physician who cares, who, God forbid, a caring physician trapped in the system must be miserable. But it's, I mean, every time we let this, or as we've let this go further, the answer always seems to be, let's centralize it. Let's let the government take more control. Let's have single payer. Not, never mind fixing the problem, right? It's all about we need more of the same thing as if that's going to be the answer. And God forbid we have single payer. You know my thoughts on single payer. Hmm. But from a academic standpoint, um, from an intellectual standpoint, it, if you do single payer, it will be the government doing all of this. It will be the government deciding we don't want to pay for, you know, a child that has multiple medical problems. That, that child should be in hospice because it's going to cost the system too much money. Or you're 80 and you have a hip, you broke your hip. You're otherwise viable, but based on your age alone, from an uh, algorithm standpoint, treating you is going to cost the system too much money. So we're going to put you in a, in a skilled nursing facility. You know, these are the things that go on. It's not about how functional the patient is. It's not about what the doctor and patient thinks should be done. It really does come down from on high, and when you don't have anybody to appeal to, then you're stuck. I mean, the way the Affordable Care Act was set up, you can appeal to the health care czar, to the HHS secretary. Good luck getting in touch with them. That's never going to happen. So I, I hope I've laid out over the course of years, basically, but recently, and now today, the urgency of taking your power back this is not a joke. This is your health. And, you know, you can depend on somebody to help you, or you can take the forefront and be proactive. I always tell my patients, you really don't want to get sick. You really want to do things to prevent yourself from having to enter the system. system's broken. system is designed to take everything you have. Let me give you another example. If you are, you know, you get some catastrophic illness, and your insurance company won't pay for the health care, um, you know, the, the procedure or the, the medication that you need. If you want to use Medicaid or Medicare to cover that, you have to literally sell everything you have and become destitute for them to kick in to help you. Does that make any sense? So the government wants you begging, you know, a pauper in order to step into their system. After you're viable, you ha you're self-sufficient. That should tell you a lot about our healthcare system and about our government. In order for them to help you, you have to beg them. You have to be without means. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I've seen it happen with young, healthy people who get diagnosed with cancer. They, some of them didn't have insurance and or had to get emergency Medicare or Medicaid and they had to sell their property, transfer the title of their house to somebody else so that they can financially say <clears throat> they meet the lower standard of you know, economic rung before the government can step in. Or the worst case scenario, you have a loved one who is you know, a senior, ended up in the hospital, God forbid you know, they passed away, that, and if they have a bill, that bill is being paid. That means they're gonna seize that loved one's property you have to sell it, and you have to give that money to the government. Forget about passing on wealth to your loved ones. It's going to the government. So you can see how mercenary a system this is. If 
I mean, I'm very proactive, so I see it coming. I know how I want to disengage from it. But I counsel anybody listening who's got a loved one who's who's ill or you're ill, you need to get your financial house in order. And, you know, that's where things like having a supplemental policy, like an AFLIFE policy, would keep you out of trouble for 10, 15 bucks a month. You wouldn't be having this conversation because that policy would have kicked in to pay cancer care, hospitalization, even home health care. I mean, this is how you play the game. And in this day and age, and anybody listening to the show, I hope you have the tools to protect yourself. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Yeah. This is, we're at a crossroads in our healthcare system, but I think this is probably one of the most interesting times for patients because there's so much, a wealth of information out there about how to stay healthy, about how to get yourself off of medications if you can. Not everybody can, but there's a lot of lifestyle choices that we're making that are making us sick. The top players, high cholesterol, diabetes, obesity, hypertension, these are lifestyle issues. It's what you're choosing to eat. It's how you're choosing to live your life. It's all about convenience, and that convenience is killing people. I decided that I, I wanted to make an intervention for myself early. I don't want to be 70, 80 years old when something is give, you know, something gave, and I should have made it a change ages ago, and I, I regret that I didn't do X. You know, I went to a, a holistic physician, a, an integrative doctor, and I got tested, you know, for a lot of stuff. Turns out that my sugar or my hemoglobin A1C was slightly elevated, my cholesterol was slightly elevated, and I decided to do something about it. And what I chose to do is not take a medication. I chose to change my diet. And juicing was is extremely powerful. The power of juicing... I saw firsthand, really made a difference. I lost weight. I wasn't even trying to do it. And just changing what I ate for breakfast and what your juice does count, okay? So you can't juice fruits and expect to lose weight because it's just sugar. But if you're juicing things like kale or spinach, um, something called moringa, which is a plant protein, coconut oil, flaxseed oil, a, a few vegetables, carrots, um, cucumber, parsley, things like that, when you juice, literally help release nutrients into the bloodstream that do wonders. Your stomach, you know, circumference goes down. You start losing fat. Your energy level goes up. Um, sometimes if you have inflammation, well, if you have inflammation, it'll stop it. So things like fibromyalgia, we're really not sure what causes it, but I think it's an inflammatory condition. And if you change your diet joint pain, muscle pain, a lot of that goes. I stopped, literally stopped having pain. No more Advil, no more need for it. I mean, these are the things that I think patients need to do before they jump on the, the medication bandwagon. I've asked and said on multiple shows, if you're on multiple medications, ask your doctor, how can we streamline them? And if they don't give you an answer or they're like poo-pooing you, they need to find another doctor. Why do people want to be abused? I don't get that. If you're sitting in a doctor's office and they're barely looking at you, they're typing on a computer, if they're not responsive to your questions, if they're not partners in your care, they just give you a prescription and walk out the door, 
The answer, the antidote to that is to leave that practice. They understand when they have five people in their, uh, you know, their date on their schedule for the day as opposed to 15. They get that. Then you start having, they start making changes because they're going to start to have to pay attention. As long, again, as long as we keep feeding this, 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 this monster, it will continue to, to put their hand out and ask for more. Juicing is one method. What you're choosing to eat is another. Maybe if you're a fast food lover and you're having your Dunkin' Donuts or whatever it is in the morning, maybe you should forego that. You know, instead of the bagel, you know, something else, a smoothie. You know, things, small, subtle changes that you can make will make a huge difference. Bread is not, not your friend. It's the carbohydrate. It's raising your blood sugar. It's messing up your GI tract. And you wonder if, well, you, it's not a wonder because it's shown now, that if your GI tract is inflamed, other mental health issues tend to take the forefront. Depression, anxiety are tied to gut health. You know, handling stress. Not having enough sleep will mess with your ability to handle stress. And then all these indicators, these, these lifestyle, you know, pushing your body to the limit leads to things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease. You know, it's just being aware and being conscious of taking care of yourself. Really, you have to love yourself. It doesn't just happen. And it's not from outside. It's from within. So until you you make a choice to put boundaries on what you're what you're going to do and what you're not going to accept, then this is the system that we're going to live in. I think this pervades that whole mindset pervades the entire society. You know, if someone calls you a name that you know you're not, are you really going to get upset about it? They don't know you, right? If you have a good sense of self, you basically are very very centered. No, nothing that comes from outside in really can affect you because you actually know what your truth is. Sounds kind of earthy, crunchy, but honestly, it's really important because we have so many people trying to define us. They're trying to define us as doctors, as humans. You know, AI is better than humans all of a sudden, and that's what we should, we should um, give our power to. That's ridiculous. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us special is that we're not all the same that we each have a gift, that we each have a, a, a contribution to make. Some of us haven't found it yet, unfortunately, but there's always hope. AI should not be the deciding factor on whether or not you get the chemotherapy based on your age or based on your sex or based on your race because that's where it's going. And as long as we sit back and let it happen, then unfortunately I think we have no one to blame but ourselves. I refuse to live in a system like that. Hopefully my, my listeners have had that switch turned on in them as well. But there's so much that you can do for yourself that you don't have to wait. I talk about it every time I'm on the show because it's really important. If you're not happy with your insurance plan, you have medical cost sharing. You've got Liberty Health Share, Samaritan, MediShare. You have direct primary care practices. Again, those are primary care and specialty practices that have a membership fee once a month, covers everything that's done in their office, or some of them have a yearly fee that covers all doctor services, but they have a way to send you out to specialists and 
testing centers that also are discounted. Um, you have supplemental policies like AFLAC, which can be used with anything, whether you have Medicaid, Medicare, health insurance, standard, you know, the commercial plans, or medical cost sharing that adds another dimension to your ability to be free economically and from a health perspective. You know, Liberty HealthShare, because I could speak to it because I joined it, does not only lock you into staying in the United States for treatment, you can literally leave the country and go elsewhere for medical tourism, and Liberty HealthShare will pay for it. Some insurance companies are doing that too. And if you think that you want to invest in that in the future, then if you want to save the commercial plans, ask them before you sign on if they have that as part of their policy. You know, I understand people get insurance plans from their company. They don't have a lot of choice, but they can sign AFLAC plans. They can sign up for AFLAC plans. Anybody can do that. You don't have to be part of a company. You can be an individual and do it. So all of these things together are designed to give you choice, freedom of choice, not having to worry about the money as part of the, the thing that locks you into something. Let's say you have a job, you hate it, but you're sticking in there because of the insurance. Well, you don't have to. You can buy a Liberty Health Share plan, you can an AFLAC plan, which I'm pretty sure would be cheaper than the insurance plan that you're paying for in your, in your job right now. So it's about deciding that you're worthy and deciding this is not working for me for whatever reason and I want to make a change. Knowledge is power. Sticking your head in the sand and hoping for the best is not the answer. Hoping for Congress to get their acts together to help you is not the answer. It's got to come from within. It's got to come from you doing your own due diligence. Don't listen to what I say. Do your own due, do your own due diligence. Go on the Internet and start searching. I'm giving you tools that you can do it. There's um, uh, Med Retreat, which is an American company that helps you, to plug you in to foreign uh, and even local or, you know, domestic um, locations for surgery, dental, cosmetic, cancer care, and they actually help for one fee. You, it pays for everything. And in their system, so if there's a bad outcome, you can get it fixed for free. So I mean, there's all sorts of, you get your money, you know, like a, a money-back guarantee kind of thing where if there is an issue, you're not going to pay double if there's something that needs to be corrected. These are things that actually exist now. Go and find them so that when you do enter the system, you know exactly what your rights are, what your choices are, and you can control the outcome as much as possible. That's pretty much all I have to say. I mean, go on my website, drlaneandgeorge.com. There's links to everything I talk about. You're certainly welcome to contact me through my website. And I hope Everybody has a wonderful week. Signing off. Thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. And take care of yourself. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.